This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Matt, and I must be in less than two with Ryan because that's not him. It's Jordan. Jordan, if you want to, you've got to get a yes. Can I get a yes? You should trust in me. <laughs> I do. Enough to hand you the keys to this podcast and uh, and say, have a good time. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we don't we don't uh, talk to you often enough on on this show, and I'm glad. So first of all, first of all, it was a giant mistake to trust me with the keys to the podcast. I'm taking us into the river. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's great to be here always. But at least at least the river uh, the river that we are uh, the river that we're going to drive into. I'm frantically, uh, frantically Googling, um, the river that we are going to drive into, uh, the waters, it's the waters of the mighty, mighty Delaware river. I should know that, but I'm not from the East coast, uh, because, uh, we are headed to Philadelphia, uh, where, Sadie Dupuis, and and I'm not sure whether to go full French on the pronunciation of her of her last name, um, whether it's uh, Sadie Dupuis or uh, or whether they, she says Sadie Dupuis. I actually searched all the YouTube interviews that I could find um, to get an interviewer pronouncing her last name in front of her. And I could not, I could not find that, but I, I am assuming that the name of her main band, uh, Speedy Ortiz, which she's referred to as her day job band, uh, is sort of a, a play on her name. So I'm, I'm going to go with Sadie Dupuis, who has released a solo album under the name, uh, Sad 13, S-A-D-1-3, like, uh, sort of text speak for Sadie, but it's, uh, as she makes clear, it's pronounced Sad 13, um, the record is called Slugger, uh, and it is, it was, uh, it was released earlier this month and is a, uh, is a, a hell of a, is just a, a hell of a 35 minutes. How, were you aware of it, Jordan, before I sent it to you for this episode? I'd heard of it. I hadn't, uh, taken the time to, to listen to it, and I'm glad that I have now. But yeah, it had managed to, to penetrate my my fog of whatever the heck. So that actually means that probably it's it's doing pretty well. <laughs> if I've heard of it, it is not underground. Right. That's a good. That's a. That's the like. That's the dad test of uh, musical popularity, right? Yeah, yeah. If uh, if anyone with children has has heard of it, it can't be that. It can't be that obscure. Um, and it is a. Uh, I don't know. I. But I mean, generically, it would be interesting to. Uh, it would be interesting to get into a little bit how you how you hear this. Um, but uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be a conversation. <laughs> the uh the whole uh, uh the whole record is about 35 minutes long though and it's very peppy it's upbeat so since this is our we're releasing it kind of a weird time this week because it's uh uh it's a holiday week and there's been some travel and some scheduling stuff and it's uh so uh, we know you're headed home uh for meals with your family and we know uh, what a stressful time uh, Thanksgiving can be if you spend it with an extended family. We know you have, you know, one uncle who gets too drunk, or maybe you are that uncle um, who who wants to talk about politics at the dinner table, and and you might need some relentlessly upbeat 
up with people songs about how consent is sexy. And so um, we talk about the kind of the occasional use of music in our, uh, uh, in our intros a lot of the time, usually focusing on whether it's a good workout album. Uh, this probably would be a good workout album, but really it's an escape your terrible family album. And, uh, and so <laughs> we, you, you got that going for you, uh, this week. So, so stick it on, uh, put it on Spotify repeat, um, so that you can get hours of, uh, hours of sort of up, upbeat synth pop, uh, singer songwriter stuff. Um, and uh, come back and listen to us talk about it after this word from our commercial sponsor. Hey, Matt, are you getting tired of the Christmas cheer? Oh, I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, a Scrooge and a Grinch all rolled into one up in here. I saw a Christmas tree branded icon iconography at the store the other day, and I was like, it is not yet Thanksgiving. What is going on here? If you're like me, you are ready to put paid to the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I absolutely am. But how? How can I do this? Would you like to see a Christmas tree tossed on a fire? I would love that so much. Uh, Until Thanksgiving, then I'm okay with them. Would you like to see Santa Claus womped once in his fat paunch? Yes, please. My goodness. How can we get this to happen? Well, let me recommend to you Krampus. Krampus. The horrifying Nordic, <laughs> the horrifying Nordic underbelly for all your Christmas needs. Wow, it's like uh, it's like the dark side of Santa. Tell me more. So Krampus is basically a goat that collects bad children and throws them into a backpack and then dumps them at the end of the night into the fires of hell. Yes, terrify them into behaving. It's. I don't really have a commercial for this. It's just kind of bizarre that that's no. What you're doing. I mean, you places. you had me at 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 uh, dump commercial dump children into the fires of hell, uh, and also do that. So Krampus for when you want to dump children into the fires of hell. <laughs> and we're back. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we've done better, but that one was okay. <laughs> it's okay. So Matt, we're, I, I we're rusty. Have a, we I haven't... do have a question for you, though. We, oh, please. Go, I have a, go, I have a oh, question you, for you, which you... is this, this, uh, this sad 13 uh-huh. with its 13 sads, <laughs> is it sad music? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... It's, uh, I, I mean, I have to say that the answer is, the answer is a qualified yes. Um, it's, it's, well, go on. it's not sad music manifestly, uh, because it's, it's like I, something, what you could describe it as peppy as being upbeat as kind of focused on the positive almost relentlessly, but it's that relentlessness that I think uh, reveals a um, a kind of ulterior sadness that uh, an an ulterior sad thirteen um, that uh, right because the the a lot of the 
things in this, a lot of the kind of the behavior that it's trying to model, um, it's uh, like, it's almost a primer, right? Like it's all, it's almost like a primer in, uh, in positivity. And, and the fact that such a thing would be necessary is what's sad, right? The, the sort of real world situations that the songs on the album are meant to, address, remediate, distract from, um, you know, uh, reflect on in some way, right? Like that's, uh, that's, that's what's sad, almost like sort of holding a, uh, holding a smile, right? Like, uh, a little too long or a little too determinedly, um, in the face of a, uh, uh, in, in the face of a world that doesn't make you feel like, uh, in a face of the world that doesn't make you feel like smiling, right? Uh, you see what well, I'm saying? Right, because it's not, yeah, it's not a guide to being positive, like on your first day at a new school or something like that. It's your guide to being positive in the fallout of an abusive relationship that you managed to get clear of, right? It's your guide to being positive in the face of sort of the, the rampant sexism of the music press. Things that one might argue, and other artists have, justify a non-positive response right yeah and that you can you can sort of see you can kind of look around and see a non-positive uh non-positive response um that the uh right and so so you know uh you can be happy but the world is sad 13 is my, you know, or you can try to be happy, I guess. Um, there's a, uh, uh, I guess in the press materials, there's a quotation uh, that appeared in a lot of the reviews or a lot of the uh, pieces I read about this album um, from Sadie herself, uh, who said that her aim, uh, she said, I wanted to make songs that were the opposite of Genie in a Bottle or The Boy Is Mine. Those are two interesting tracks to pick, by the way. Uh, yeah. Like, first of all, like, uh, pretty old, right? Um, mm-hmm. Songs that put affirmative consent at the heart of the subject matter and emphasize friendship among women and try to de-escalate the toxic jealousy and ownership that are often centered in, uh, in romantic, romantic pop songs. Um, yeah. Okay. So this, I mean, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. That's a really interesting mission statement because I feel like some of the songs on the album are doing that, but some of them are nowhere near that. Don't you think? Yeah. It's right. The, the, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that. I don't know. I guess it depends on, on how radical your reading of. Uh, I guess it depends on how radical your reading of the of pop songs is, right? Like pop songs are not for pop songs are heightened, you know what I mean? Like pop songs are like the plays of Shakespeare, you know? They're they're or like like you know what? Pop songs are like Greek tragedies. This is not a guide to to normal behavior. Uh, this is not a, a like a manual for living for the well lived life. They are about extreme. Um, states of emotion and they're about providing emotional transportation, right? Like they're about, you know, bringing three minutes of, of catharsis, three minutes of exaltation, um, 
into your, you know, sad little teenage life. Right. And that's, uh, and I, you know, I guess it's, it's almost definitionally not wrong, uh, that they're sexist because the, the society that's producing them is, uh, um, is sexist, but I, I, would not necessarily have, I, I mean, I would not necessarily have said that my first criticism of pop music, uh, is that it, um, it, uh, but that, that it celebrates a regressive idea of, of coupleship, uh, that, that, I mean, I suppose that would have to be on the list of criticisms, but it wouldn't be in my top my own top five, uh, I suppose. Maybe I just take too rosy a view of, uh, of the late 90s, you know, uh, Swedish-produced pop music of my youth. Yeah, well, let's, let's take a minute then to think about what The Boy Is Mine and Genie in a Bottle have in common, because they don't seem at, at first blush to actually be similar, right? But I think they do have one thing... Um, which is that they are fundamentally about sort of wallowing in a experience of unfulfilled desire. Uh, with the boy is mine, it's about like that. That statement is not true, right? Like the having to have the fight about it means that it's sort of it's up for grabs, and uh, the speaker does not feel as secure in her relationship as uh, as she makes out to be. So it's sort of about how you can never really have people. They're always free agents, and they often do things that hurt you. Um, and even though, like, not every line in the song is about that, you kind of have to come to it from that point. Like, you, as the person listening to the song, need to know that and believe it for the song to sort of do the work that it does. Right. And then Gene in the Bottle is about that same kind of thing mapped onto just like sex, right? The whole point of her being a genie in the bottle that you have to rub the right way is that like most guys are sexually incompetent and therefore can't have Christina Aguilera. Uh, but she is sort of yearning for the, and I, I think in, in many ways it's a song addressed to, to teen girls for them to sort of insert themselves into yearning for the guy who will unlock their, you know, their sexuality in a way that is both non-threatening and overpowering and yada, yada, yada. Right. But again, that's something that you want it because you know that you can never have it and you've been living with never having it uh, all along. So in that sense, I feel like the sort of, it's not even, uh, the sexism in the familiar way that it, they are both sexist songs, I'm sure, is to me not the thing that is kind of being flipped here. What's being flipped in, a, in specifically in the song uh, Say Yes, right, is this notion that, like, that you can have someone who is good enough, both, like, uh, both in terms of being trustworthy enough and in terms of being, like, physically competent enough to have a sexual encounter that is not a not a giant shit show, basically. So in that sense, I feel like that particular song is sort of a reversal of both of those other two. Or even, yeah, even sort of mutually, I mean, even sort of mutually satisfying. I mean, I... I sort of find this was the uh this was definitely the earworm or the biggest earworm. There were there were a couple things like and we'll talk about them, but like this was the biggest earworm for me on on the thing. The just uh I think saying uh the line I say yes to the dress made me perk up because of the television show that's named that and what is she doing singing about that television show? But of course she's not. It's yeah, yeah. it's more than it's more than that, but it is a good way to kind of peek 
uh, peak attention. Um, and then, and then just the, like the, the, it's like a litany, right? I say yes to the dress when I put it on. I say yes. If I want you to take it off, I say yes for your touch. When I need your touch, I say yes. If I want to, if you want to, you've got to get a yes. Can I get a yes? That's the, that's the chorus. And this, like this, um, uh, this, this, and, and like, there are a number of good things about this. One, it's good pop music, right? Like it's catchy. It's super, it's super yeah, catchy. It's a banger. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely bopping down the street, like, uh, humming this to my, humming this to myself. The, the other thing is that like, it does, you know, it sort of does do something that is, uh, socially progressive a little bit, right? Because like a lot of, uh, and, and this is probably natural, right? Like a, a lot of our sort of discourse about things is focused on when things go wrong. Um, and so with consent, right? Like a lot of, a lot of our discourses is around times at which consent was withheld or revoked and, and bad things happened and, and, you know, uh, st- I'm sorry, I'm not trying to soft pedal it. I'm just not uh, trying to, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to get sad through. Um, but the uh, that that this sort of presents the 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 mirror image, the like the posit- This recapitulates this in a positive register and talks about what uh, what consent is like when it's um, when it's enthusiastic and mutual, right? And that's so so. This is good, right? Like this is this is something we want to sort of play for play for children everywhere, so that they have yeah. a. Uh, um, you know, so that they have a generally positive, I, or that they have at least an idea, a model, a mental model of what, uh, you know, uh, like life has its ups and downs and embarrassments and, and problems and stuff like that, but like a generally positive model of what things look like when they go right between, between yeah. two people. That's And let me, let me just oh, yeah. say, it's important, I think, to, uh, to close this loop that it being good pop music matters for that too. Right. That like uh, you could have the most worthy thing in the world. That's like a pamphlet that you get handed out at a at at like the health center, you know, when you have to go as a freshman and get them to sign to say that you showed up. Uh, Not that those things aren't important and worthwhile. Right. But like having it be something that you can bop along and sing to yourself as you're jogging or, you know, that everyone can shout along to on the dance floor or something like that makes the message work better, especially for that message, which is about like joy and pleasure and doing things that you want to rather than things that you have to. Like if the message is a, a, oatmeal like uh, slog, then it stops being the thing that it is meant to be. The fact that it is, in fact, you know, bubblegum uh, is, is, I think, necessary to it really working. So, right, exactly. I, I, I was just trying to think of like, uh, uh, what, I guess we could like set the UN International Declaration on Human Rights to music, right? And you could set it to, uh, well, I don't know. You'd almost want that to be sort of droning and sublime. You'd want that to be some sort of like minimalism, you know, 20th century minimalism kind of, uh, kind of, uh, a thing because it is the one thing that that genre does is capture a certain kind of, of majesty. Or I'm imagining the, like the choral, the choral, uh, 
setting of that text by Arvo Pert or something like that. Like that, that just is this, uh, beautiful, you know, this sort of beautiful, um, uh, magnificent edifice of sound. But if, if Max Martin, uh, produced it, it definitely would, would chart higher. The UN international declaration of human rights would, right? (laughs) Probably. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Max Martin presents Taylor Swift's UN International Declaration of Human Rights. I could see that being a club hit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then and then there would be some hip hop remixes with guest verses and things like this. Now, you know, it would be, you know, yeah, it would really it would be the song of the summer. Um, no doubt. Yeah. But OK, so but let's let's dig in a little bit and i and i want to i want to dig below the surface of this this song uh you you uh, by the way you were you were very kind not to uh you're very kind to refrain from a that's what she said um <laughs> let's let's uh let's return to genie in a bottle right um the uh th- there's a real disjunction in genie in a bottle between the verses and the chorus, right? The, the, uh, the verses are about feeling lonely, about longing for a partner, um, about seeing unsatisfactory partners, uh, right? Like the, um, uh, the the operative lines are you're licking your lips and blowing kisses my way, but that don't mean I'm going to give it away or, um, oh, where is it? My heart is racing at the speed of light, but that don't mean it's going to be tonight. Uh, right. Like that, that's so that this is what the, this is what the, the verse is. Uh, and then there's a little pre-chorus where she wails and says, Oh, oh my body's saying let's go, but my heart is saying no, no. Uh, and so the heart overrides the body there. And the actual, the, the actual important thing in the verses is to find, is to find the right partner to find a love connection with the right right partner that people can be physically exciting they can uh court you they can you know um do do all kinds of things that that might be uh attractive alluring you know um but that that's not going to be that's not going to be enough because my heart is saying no no the chorus is the exact opposite of that. The chorus is like, you know, you have to go to third skillfully and I'm yours. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and, and the, the operative line here, I think, right. Is that if you want to be with me, baby, there's a price to pay there's a price to pay right like so it imports the 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 sexual encounter into a discourse of negotiation and exchange right um, yeah and that and that's I think uh, there's like from a social point of view, I think there's the problem, right? Rather than rather than one of uh, mutual uh, attraction and generosity and excitement into one of of negotiation and exchange, where uh, where like valuable, where things of value are being surrendered. Um, in a kind of you know in a transaction. Um, so okay, back to back to gonna get a yes, right? Or get a yes. Um, I think there's a difference between I say yes and get a yes. You've got to get a yes, right? Because what do you do to get a yes? 
presumably you either have a yes or you don't, right? And sure. If, and if you don't get and and so what does getting the yes? entail and and like in that in that word for me like it opened up a little bit of this kind of a little bit of this kind of negotiation uh a little bit of this kind of negotiation and transactional mentality situating the kind of the the communication between the prospective partners as as a type of negotiation as a type of uh you know prolegomenon to a transaction right and and the last line of the chorus uh can i can I get a yes? And, and clearly it's a different, I mean, clearly I'm nitpicking and clearly it's a different song with, uh, a different message if, or if you like, or it might be better to say a different artistic project, um, than, than, uh, a genie in a bottle. But I, I wonder if there isn't something about this, I wonder if there isn't something about this kind of give and take between people that has a uh, transactional or a negotiating kind of uh, nature. And I wonder if that's not necessarily not necessarily uh, a bad thing. If if you had not trolled me with your question about being sad, I my uh, my question for you was going to be Jordan. This consent is it sexy? <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure the answer is yes in, in, in all cases. And that's right. Like, because there's something about the withhold, you know, there's something about the withholding in order to grant later, uh, that goes back for millennia of lyric poetry, right? Um, that is, you know, I don't know, that is sort of part of the, that is sort of part of this part of this dynamic i don't know is there a can can you save can you save me can you re-theorize getting a yes as a uh as a socially progressive uh and not a uh a sexist and retrograde um sort of uh interaction well i think that um maybe i would not want to because i think that part of the project of this album is to kind of acknowledge that the the ugly and uh and sexist parts of the society that we are dealing with are not going anywhere like it's not it's not a utopian album by any means that stuff is all real it's just kind of there and you have to deal with it um I don't know if we can really theorize a model of seduction that doesn't start with one person wanting to have sex. You know, uh, they may be the most respectful person in the world about whether the other person wants to, too. But someone needs to go into the situation thinking like, well, I would like the answer to be yes, meaning that they're aiming to get that yes, right? Uh, Maybe you could do something complicated. I mean, in a way, like, like Tinder is meant to do this. Where if you if the other person doesn't say yes, you never even know about it, right? Like you only find the the people who are uh, who are sort of themselves magically already swiping right. But uh, in fact, it doesn't work that way, right? And there's a whole like gaming out of it from different uh, different strategic points that I've never experienced because I'm you know I luckily managed to get out of the game before that it was a thing. But I, I read about it and it all sounds very dystopian and hard. Oh, it's it's awful. Um, I, I was never planning to experience it, but you're absolutely right because like the dominant strategy for men is to just swipe right on everybody, right? 
and yeah. that you know to maximize uh, to to not use the system the way it was designed and to maximize your chances yeah. of 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 matching with people. It's really and it's really like soul killing. And I, I gather I've read uh, I've read research that like people are depressed after using that yeah. app. And that, and that, therefore, the dominant strategy for women is to basically swipe right on nobody, you know, because <laughs> because they have no way of knowing, right? Uh, they, they can't use the system the way that it's meant to be because none of the men are. Um, but so take take that as kind of a given that that these social things that the album is essentially arrayed against, it also is trying to kind of make its uneasy peace with. Um, Look at uh, look at the song "Tell You What," right? Where that that's a song that's about the fallout of an abusive relationship, and it has this repeated line where she says, "I'm not worth your violence." And when you started talking about the commodification of this stuff, I got really excited because I had uh, I had this in my notes. It's a weird reversal of the normal way of talking about these things, right? Like usually, if you're if you're watching Maury or Montel or whatever, uh, the line is, "He's not worth it," right? Like, uh, the guy is not worth the agony. The good parts of who he is are not a fair trade for the violence, the horrible parts. Of yeah, or he is. for is not, worth um, your, is not worth your love. The idea being that you have something valuable and you're squandering it. Right. So, like, uh, so as I, in the situation, I say to you, to the, to the man, you're not worth it, right? Um, and you kind of want to, as her friend, come in and say, you know, um, you deserve better than this. You know, he's not worth it, right? Um, and all of that means that he, the guy, is the commodity, right? She is the sort of the rational maximizer, the homo economicus, who is going to decide whether he's a good deal or not and choose where to spend her, her effective money, right? But by turning it around to, I'm not worth your violence, that makes her into the commodity, right? Like, she has a price. She knows her own value, uh, not her value to herself, but her value on the marketplace. And she's saying the bid that you made, your violence, is not a sufficient bid, right? That was, that was the $2. Somebody else is going to bid way higher, right? Uh, I have a worth. Your violence is not my worth. So on the one hand, it's saying, like, saying screw you to the guy, which we can all get behind that message. But it's not removing herself from this sort of commoditized exchange, which is, I think, very sad, you know, in a, in a deep and profound way, despite the sort of upbeat energy of the music. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this and like this model of, this model, this discourse, this discourse of uh, economic exchange, this discourse of, of transaction, right? And that there, there's a... This discourse of transaction, um, and and I guess like the the like the love song, uh, the love song is called um, less than two, right? So even I mean, well, it, it's a part. Uh, go on, go on. Yeah, it's called uh, you know left angle bracket numeral two, right? Like which is a pun. Yeah, yeah. It's a pun on a lot of levels. I had never thought, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had never thought of the heart, uh, the heart emoticon, um, 
that you make by doing uh, a uh, a less than sign and then the number three. I'd never thought of that as actually reading less than three, but it's interesting if you if you think of it as being kind of used between a couple, right? In in a mm-hmm. in a like romantic dyad, when when you give so, when you show someone the heart, you're saying that it's less than three. It's just two. It's just the two of us. You know what I mean? That like yes. you're kind of <laughs> and then when of... you have a baby, wah, wah. <laughs> and then there's only one and the two of you don't matter anymore um yes yes the uh uh right like yeah but there's you know what there's no pop songs for people who have babies right like and that's important i think um because you know uh because pop traffics in in fantasy pop traffics in intense experience in emotional mm-hmm. transportation for people who are craving that right like uh most of the parents i know could do with a little less intense experience in their uh in their life and a little more uh peace and fucking quiet right and that uh you know um which is to say it's you know it's a hard thing to do to to be to be a parent and so like there's no there's no pop music there's uh you know i don't know like uh uh cd's of acoustic guitar that you buy at starbucks or something for yeah. for parents there's, uh, there's baby beluga man that's a uh... <laughs> yeah really that that's, I'll that's bet actually that... kind of that has a soothing effect. It's a song about consent, you know? Like, he really wants to know whether the water is warm and whether... Uh... <laughs> All right, go on. Um, you, were, you were saying something cogent about less than two. I, I'm not sure I was doing precisely that, but I was saying something about less than two. Um, that uh, So that if less than three is a dyad, right, less than two is solitude, right? And that, mm-hmm. and that, so the, the, I think that there's, I mean, I, I'm actually very, I was not surprised when I learned, which I didn't know, that Sadie Dupuis has, um, uh, an MFA in, in writing poetry, uh, from Amherst, uh-huh. I think. And because the, 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 there is a sort of, in the lyric writing, there is definitely a, pleasure taken in like a circuitous way of saying things um and and kind of a, a dealing with words for their sounds right that i i associate i sort of consider as being hallmarks of people who write poetry um more than uh uh uh, more even than in lyricists. And when I say an MFA in writing poetry from Amherst, I, I don't mean that she can't write poetry from other places as well. Um, but it's not a <laughs> po- poetry from Amherst. specifically a, a diss on Amherst. It's just like that happens to be the case. <laughs> poetry from Amherst is not a, is not a genre of poetry, at, at least insofar as, as I am aware. Um, yeah, man. When we when we eventually form the uh, the the sucking teenagers uh, punk band, we have to call the first album "Poetry from Amherst." Yeah, um... <laughs> I I uh, I so okay the um, the I think there's a, a multi level pun. One is like less than two uh, being like an iteration of the heart emoticon. Um, one yeah. is that one is that solitude is less than two, and a couple is less than uh, is less than three. 
Um, and then, I mean, it seems to be a song. It seems to be. It seems to be a song, at least about kind of. And I think this is actually like a latent topic on a lot of the. Um, on a lot of the album about like the ways in which the, uh, the couple like entering into a conventional couple sort of deforms, uh, or reshapes the self, uh, yeah, a, a little bit. Right. And that, that is, uh, uh, like uh, in in the opening verse of the the song, it's the it ends. I'm with you in the less than two, and I'm trying not to choose between because like a two. There's a everyone is is different, and like you know, you can sort of if you're in a couple or if you look around and your friends who are who are in couples, right? Like um, everyone strikes a slightly different balance of sort of independence and coupledom, right? Like and and every yeah. couple has to find the 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 version that works for them of being sort of two individuals and being one unit. Uh, and that, that set point is different for, for different people for a variety of reasons. But this, this seems to be like the self gets subsumed or kind of turned down or like squeezed somehow in the, in the interaction. And, and it, it was something that like just listening through to the lyrics when, when she's describing being in, in couples, it's something that seems to me to, to come up a lot. I don't know. Was that something you noticed or is it related to anything you noticed? Yeah. I mean, I think that is, um, that is a thing. There's stuff about, uh, in several places, stuff about sort of changing to be a particular thing, uh, thanks to someone that you're interacting with and sort of doing that again with your eyes open and kind of, uh, being okay with it. I have to say, my read on this song is is quite different because um, I don't think of this is a love song. It's a it's a self love song. I feel like the two here is actually like herself and the self inside that watches her do the things that she does. Um, th- that like you usually expect the you in the rock song to be a romantic partner of some kind, obviously. But if you read the, like the artist's note uh, that you can find on genius, I'm sure they pulled up some interview somewhere. Uh, she says that she's talking about kind of the duality that she experienced growing up of being like kind of a girly girl and also being uh, the smartest one in her class. And that she had this like academic rival who couldn't stand that a girl was beating him. And that she feels like in pop culture, there's always this, this, uh, false dichotomy between femininity and intelligence, right? That like girls can be smart or girls, but they kind of can't be both. Um, and that this is sort of the, the thing that she's trying not to choose. Um, so if we, if we read it that way, right, then the, the joke of less than two is, well, less than two is one, but rather than saying one, she says less than two over and over again. So maybe less than two is not actually quite one. It's less than two, but it's possibly just slightly more than one. Um, and then when you have something like that line about, I wasn't too amused with you when we were in the troops neck to neck on the laugh track, well, that sort of suggests is that she's thinking back to some time that she laughed at a joke that she didn't actually find funny. And this is, of course, something that we all do as a kind of social lubricant, but there is this extra pressure on women to do it, right? Especially women who are, like, in a romantic context. You're out on a date with somebody you're flirting. You have to laugh at his jokes, right? Uh, and she does it. 
but she also observes herself doing it, and she's not so pleased with herself, which is another double meaning, because not amused can mean that isn't funny, but it also just means that's not good, right? I'm not amused with this. Um, and then the second half of the chorus is also kind of self-criticism, but it's turning to, to music. So the line is, you fight like a champion because your copying moves already been done, another hack with a battle axe, right? Um, so literally, you can think of this being like a gladiator who is copying somebody else's axe technique. But metaphorically, if you think of you as basically her self-critical account of herself, what she's saying is that she is a hack in the sense of an imitative artist with a battle hack in the sense of an electric guitar copying other people's styles. Um, and yet, throughout that very kind of um, nasty read on yourself, if that's how we're going to understand the song, this is intangible. I can't point to evidence to it, but I think it's there. Like at the end when she says, ha ha, you're the one, it's not bitter laughter, it's sincere laughter. And she's just owning all this stuff. Like she's looking at all of these kind of aspects of herself that she finds unpleasant and just saying like, ah, yeah, but you know what? Like, I'm okay with me. I think that like, um, the idea of, of less than two not being one is an interesting one for me. This I, less than two just sort of came up for me because you were talking about a you were talking about a, a discourse of valuation in tell you what right and like the difference between less than three, less than two, and one. Like, uh, it, when, it, when you make those claims about what you are, whether you're less than three, less than two or one, right? Like you, you have recourse to a, um, you have recourse to an objective standard evaluation, right? Like those things mean something. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, the, the number line is, is infinitely dividable and every number has a definite relationship to all other numbers. Right. And, and that, and it doesn't depend on how you feel about it. Right. Or, uh, who your boyfriend is, you know, and that yeah. I think I, and I guess like the, the in saying I'm not worth your violence, the, the point is that, um, uh, the, the, the point is that like, sort of cl is reaching out to or clinging on to or taking advantage of that objective standard of valuation, right? Like uh, it's a kind of refusal to be gaslighted a little bit, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that like there's a, no, 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 there, there is there. I, I do have an objective worth, uh, or, you know, or there is an idea of objective worth that I partake in, right? Like, and that that's not, uh, and that this ain't it, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. this, and that's uh, rather than uh, rather than being, you know, rather than being like, I think I'm. Uh, rather than the the uh, the discourse, uh, rather than the kind of economic character of some of these images being something that's. Um, uh, being something that's demeaning to the self, it it can be something that's kind of ennobling, uh, ennobling to the self because it situates self worth beyond in in a realm beyond subjectivity because subjectivity can be uh, sort of manipulated uh, and diminished in in ways that the idea of objective objective value can. Uh, cannot be anyway this this is what I was thinking yeah. you know fifteen minutes ago when when I took us down the rat hole into less than uh into to less than two and the idea the idea of worth right like being uh 
being an idea of kind of reaching outside of subjectivity to kind of find your own, to, to, to find stable ground, um, to dig your toes into. I think that that's probably something that's there in the, in the text. Um, and I think that's the way that we generally think about market values. Although of course there's like the sad truth that, um, that markets are not actually that fixed, right? That like, yes, the, uh, the bag of Doritos that, uh, that you go and you buy is like, it's worth exactly a buck 50 or whatever. And there is a certain kind of like sense that that's reality checking in, right? That that was the price that the market would bear. And it is exactly a buck 50. It's not worth $2. It's not worth $1. It's worth a buck 50. Um, but on the other hand, right? Like to the Dorito corporation, it has to be worth less or they wouldn't be making a profit, Right. And markets can be manipulated and people can be deceived into thinking that things are worth one thing when facts are worth another. Um, you know, like you, if you, if you pay, uh, thousands of dollars for a fancy professional accreditation, right? You go to, you go to law school these days, right? Is your law degree worth what you paid for it or is it worth the salary that you're able to draw with it, you know, at, at Starbucks probably? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but this is, uh, this has nothing to do with the, with the text in front of us. It just sort of, it's where my mind went. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, it is, I mean, the, the idea of, of worth being, uh, the idea of worth being set by, set by markets. Right. And, and the, the idea that we know what, what markets can be, the ways in which markets can be manipulated and the kind of predictably irrational to, to borrow a, uh, the title of a book about behavioral economics, right? Like this sort of the predictable ways in which people will be, um, will, will not act in their own interest or will act in an economically irrational way. Like knowing that it's still, I mean, there is still a kind of an aspect of like general consensus, you know, Mm -hmm. and if you're in a terrible relationship, if you're being, if you're being abused, like I I think you still can kind of rely on general consensus, you know, or at least that, that provides a way uh, if you can grab onto an idea of general consensus, it provides a way out of some of the, uh, some of the stuff. What's, what's described in the, in the lyrics of, uh, tell you what, as, uh, trapped in a think tank with no understanding. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and that, it's interesting, the, the gun, uh, it's, it's, it's not a final system and like, yeah, we can quibble about how authoritative or how reliable, uh, how reliable it is, but it is something outside the think tank with no understanding. And, and, and that's the, 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 uh, use of it, I think. Yeah. And it's interesting that just as, uh, just as it seems to posit that like in, on the personal level, uh, she is worth more than this objectively and therefore can afford to leave this offer on the table. It also comes into her understanding of her career, right? In, in, uh, in coming into powers where it's kind of like, fuck you. I am worth this kind of career that I see for myself. And if you're not willing to give me what I think I deserve, then like, I am in no way concerned. I'm just going to stay over here being awesome until you come around and, uh, and, you know, and pay me basically. Right. So it's, uh, there's a, an optimism that runs through the music, even though I feel like it's dealing with some very grim stuff that does, I think, depend in some sense on this, like deep down a sense of one's own worth. Yeah. 
It's which I, which I think is the thing they're kind of bringing out. Well, right, yeah. A, a, I mean, and it's it's interesting, right? Like because that. Well, there's there's a now now you've introduced a ten right you've you've introduced a kind of tension into my into my thing here because this seems to be like an innate sense of one's uh, uh this seems to be an innate sense of of uh one's own worth but like the idea like pay me you know fuck you pay me what you owe which is the first line of the song um of uh coming into powers um right like uh, presupposes a an anterior situation an interior uh agreement right that uh you know there would be like a service rendered and there would be money exchanged for it right so we're in this in this sort of transactional uh situation and she refers to it as what you owe so presumably uh so presumably she's um she's performed the service, right? She's played the show, you know, and the, the promoter or whatever is, is holding out on, on actually giving her her money, which is something that, that happens in rock music. Well, I mean, it happens in in all businesses. It, it was, you know, a, apparently a favorite tactic of our president elect dealing with vendors and contractors. Um, Indeed. Uh, I sweat harder, but okay. Next line though. I sweat harder than those, Right. So, so in the first line, you're owed money because there's an agreement. Um, I'm owed money, I should say. The I that's singing the song is owed money because because uh, there's an agreement uh, th- that is in force. The second line is I'm owed money because of of because uh, uh, I work harder, right? Uh, which yeah. may or may not have been okay. a. Uh, it, sorry. It, yeah, it, it's about something. It's about something I've done to deserve, right? It's about it's about intrinsic or earned worth rather than mm-hmm. uh, rather than being in alignment with uh, with with an agreement. And this this I think is the tension that you're you're introducing into my uh, into my argument is that or into my thing about the the kind of the what the economic discourse does, right? Like because is it is it that like the market sets a price uh, and you're not paying it, or is it that I have an intrinsic worth that is uh, that should command a higher price than than the people around me, right? Like the the uh, uh, those who got handed money because their birth was landed. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not quite. I have an intrinsic worth where it's just like I'm special. You know, it's not not the Kanye theory of value, but it's more of a more of a strict Marxist labor theory of value, right? She worked harder, therefore she is owed like the the natural recompense of that labor um and that's something that's kind of set by nature not by contracts well isn't it it's funny i'm not an expert but isn't it like isn't the the marxian view that she can sweat harder but if she doesn't need uh an extra portion of gruel she doesn't get an extra portion of gruel right like from (laughs) from from each uh from each rock and roll singer according to her ability to each rock and roll singer according to her need yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's definitely part of it. Um, and it's interesting to think about, like, that aspect comes in, too, when she's like, I want to, to boost up my friends, right? Although, uh, I, I guess, except for that rap verse at the end, you sort of don't know who the friends are, and it's sort of a little bit weird to have a solo project that's all about how you're helping other people get ahead. <laughs> but, but still, there is this sense that, like, she doesn't want more than her fair share. She wants to share. She wants to to give other people uh, a boost up, you know, to, to break into the club and let in all of the kids that she likes. 
Um, which, of course, you know, I suppose in, in March you're supposed to give the share of gruel even to people that you don't like so much. But you see my, my point, that, like, that, that piece of it does seem to show up there occasionally. Hey, let's... Uh, we, um, but, but yeah, the, yeah. I was just going to say, the other thing I was trying to say with that, though, was that, um, that the worth of your work is not determined by the price that the market were, would, would bear, that it's possible to extract money from people by paying them less than what their work is worth. Right. And in fact, you might argue that's the only way it ever happens. It's that, well, yeah, you, you and the Doritos, or it's, it's uh, in, in Marx, it's called surplus value, right? Um, yeah, I believe so. In order, in order for the capitalists to extract value from the proletariat, you got to pay them less than the value of the than the the value of their uh, of the things that they make, so that the you know so that the uh, uh, seamstress stitching the uh, stitching the haute couture dress can't afford to buy the the dress that that um, she is indispensable in the process of process of, of making, um, in the, in the rappers, uh, there is this, uh, there is this idea of like intrinsic worth of art and, uh, market value of art. Um, right. There's a, uh, one lyric in the rap verse is, is cause who says that you can't make dope art and go far. So the idea of dope art being intrinsic value and go far being market value, uh, the, the the idea and that, that like the 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 assumption is that these things don't align right yeah like, exactly finding them the, together would be remarkable you can't thread that needle that they're that they are uh that they're diametric opposites but as we say on uh on this podcast many things we think are diametric opposites are in fact continuous and hyper dimensional um Hey, we, we've done, Jordan, we've done the opposite of an episode of the TFT podcast in that, uh, we spent remarkably little time bullshitting at the beginning, uh, and just talking about general impressions of the album. And we dove right in to, uh, we dove right into, to analysis of particular songs, uh, admittedly in a way that enabled our bullshitting about, uh, about life and stuff. Um, but can, can we talk a little bit about the, the music before, before we close? Because it's it's a uh, it has a distinctive sound. Um, it's a kind of g- grittier, smudgier, distortier electropop, right? So uh, mm-hmm. it seems so. It seems to be marrying a, a couple of traditions, right? Like one one is DIY punk, uh, and there are you can kind of look in in the uh, articles that were written about this on like the you know it, the way it was uh, self produced and the way it was kind of living room recorded and and uh, this sort of stuff. So there's like a DIY second like electro pop, but this does not have the kind of the dance musicy sheen of of uh, band like churches um and and then the third is kind of pop pop singing songwriting like verse chorus catchy hooks you know uh kind of uh you know little max martiny kind of kind of singer songwriting or at least he's the the best exponent of it that i can uh you know that i can think of like what were your what were your impressions of the sound of of this record and how how did you respond to it and how do you think it it kind of partakes in the the artistic project that we've uh, been talking about in the lyrics 
Yeah, so a couple of things. Like the way one of the things that jumped out at me first is the way that it's mixed. Her voice is very, very forward and very dry, almost like cutting. Um, but it's usually, and I want to say always, although I, I wouldn't swear to that, uh, chorused with like a softer but more musical, more sort of rounded and sung version of the same vocals, either either singing the same melody or singing like a harmonizing line or something like that, um, which gives this, again, the sense of duality, right? That there's sort of two sides to her in, in every single note that she sings. Um, also, I would say that, like, the vocals with that layering um, and also with the vocal style are very pop music, whereas there's often a little bit more rock or a little bit more, like, um, like indie, you know, post-rocky stuff going on in the backing tracks. You know, so there's a it, it, it hits the TFT sweet spot uh, very well in that sense that it's kind of like a little bit pop, but a little bit artsy too. Um, to the Max Martin side of it, what I think is interesting is that this is kind of like um, this is like the the Max Martin that you forgot to take out of your pocket and like and yes. through the laundry or something like that. Right? <laughs> but, but like the 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 sort of the the bog standard pop progression start and then like suddenly the chord that arrives is a half step off from the chord that you thought or the voice leading which could have been made very smooth is set up so that like the bass has a big honking tritone in it or something like that um one that i noticed that it's not like the the best example of this in, in terms of the strongest but it's maybe the simplest to understand is on that uh, on get a yes right the basic uh, progression of the chorus is one five four, which is a very standard kind of a uh, rock bass line. You know, if, if, if this is your tonic, do 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 do, and you can just repeat that forever, right? So that goes under. I say yes to the dress when I put it on. On the I say yes if I want you to take it off, you get one five flat six. It goes in the other direction to a chord that's not part of the scale. So rather than do do do, you get do do do. And there's other little like aspects of the way that that chord appears. The voicing like jumps in octaves and does a little like doodly doodly thing. Um, that it's meant to be this alien presence, right? Which I think is both effective songwriting and a nice way of showing that, like, although she has consumed Max Martin, uh, she's, in a sense, more serious than Max Martin, like trying trying harder at art than Max Martin. Um, but it also gives the sense that that moment of sexual agency and libido is weird, right? The subtext is, hey, you wouldn't think this to look at me, but I'm capable of consenting and, and desiring sex, you know, which is a, a very, very different twist on the, the underlying message of the song from the one that comes in the lyrics, where it's just like, yes, affirmative consent is great. You know, yes, it's great. It's also surprising. And how messed up and sad is that? Yeah, uh, it's surprising. And it's also, I don't know, it's it's a... Yeah, it's a it's an experience of disjunction a little bit, right? Like it's it's not a it's not a smooth experience. It's, it's funny. I'm thinking of like uh, I'm I'm thinking of your description of it as artistically serious and as Max Martin not art as artistically serious. And I have a lot of uh, respect for Max Martin, but I guess yes, not as a crafts uh, more as a craftsman than as uh, as an artist, right? Like more as a person who 
like as a carpenter who I think can produce, you know, I don't know, uh, perfect joints with woodworking tools rather than someone who I think is going to tell me something interesting about, uh, about the nature of life. And like, uh, a lot of pop music is, is about that is about not, not letting you see the joints or the cracks, not, you know, uh, creating, creating an experience that doesn't like, uh, back to Marx, right? Like it's, uh, pop music is, is a commodity that masks the means of production and, yeah. um, yeah, and, and have, uh, having these, yeah. Right. And that, that, uh, uh, having these weird, having these weird things is, is alienating. It's like a lot of, it's like a number of, of moves in cinema, right? Like if the camera goes by a mirror and you see the camera, or if the soundtrack starts and stops in a weird way, or if there's a weird cutting pattern that's not the kind of continuity montage that you're used to, uh, from, you know, commercials, commercial films, uh, or television, like, uh, something's going to, uh you you're awakened to the fact that the thing that you're doing is uh the thing that you're doing is constructed and that's that's your like c plus film studies paper right like to get a better grade than that you kind of have to you kind of have to say why and i think that like this uh this idea that this moment this moment of standing up for yourself um uh, is is kind of like a surprise within the self. Is a convincing one to me. Yeah, yeah. A lot of I and, mean, and this also. Yeah. I was just going to say this also like perhaps relates to something that I noticed in the lyrics and even sometimes in the songwriting that like you get the feeling that she is very well read in um in the pop music of yesteryear. Like just having a song called "Just a Friend," right? is like, that, that's not accidental, right? <laughs> um, and neither is it entirely serious. Like, I don't think that uh, with, with whatever message that she had, she's not like, all right, Bismarcky is going to get told, right? Uh, but it, it's there to make you think and go, huh, right? And, and back off a minute and think like, oh, yes, this is a pop song in discourse with other pop songs. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it sort of reveals, I mean, it, it sort of reveals the machinery a little bit, uh, uh, not just of, of the kind of the constructedness of, of this particular song, but the constructedness of the whole, uh, the, the, the constructedness by which I mean, I suppose the arbitrary nature, uh, of the whole system. And if the whole system is arbitrary, um, you know, and, uh, it's trying to get you to do something, you're going to have to ask why, why do I listen to pop music and suddenly want to buy Doritos for a dollar fifty? <laughs> Well, I know the answer to that, but it's not one that I care to dwell on. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, maybe we'll leave it there for this uh, for this episode of TFT. Jordan, thank you very much for, for jumping in and talking uh, about Sad 13 and about Slugger. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, we'll be back, and you can count on us not to try to uh, mindlessly drive you to consume. Uh, you can count on us when we come back next week to always... Keep it real.